Part 36, Wilderness, it's going to be awesome, and I have the crab trees with me, and they're legal North Carolinians, it's official. It's official, DMV official. Legal. They can't yeah. go back now, they're ours, we <laughs> have them. So as you're hopping on, make sure that you say hello, comment, tell us who you are, where you're watching from, Kevin's on, hey Kevin, Johnny, hello Johnny. Uh, Kevin says, Crabtree! Hi, Kevin! Mm -hmm. Hello. And then Chris says, hi, wave, wave, wave. It's good to see y'all. I also saw that Mark Presley is watching and Mike Braswell is on. As you are hopping on, please comment so that way we can say hello <laughs> to you. Kevin says, Crabtree squared. Yes. <laughs> Pastor Nicole says, whoa, y'all are sitting different. I wanted to have my buddies on today, so that way we could chit-chat about the questions that we're going to ask you, and that way Pastor can slide into his seat, and it's not that weird, awkward <laughs> transition that we did last week. So We all seemed, just disappeared. Seemed nice. I'm noticing this new seating, though, is really accentuating my Adam's apple, like very hardcore. Like it looks huge right now. Buddy asked me earlier if he blended in with the background and he kind of does, so it's like floating head buddy. Floating head and Adam's apple. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gracious. Make sure that y'all share the broadcast. It's going to be a good one today. And as we are hopping on, Quentin Deb. Well, I'll get back to that. Deb, hello. Deborah Ann, we love you. I have some questions, hot topics, fresh off the press today. I'm ready. We're going to start with a this or that. And this has been a highly debatable one between myself and, <laughs> and Abigail. <laughs> Marky says your throat is very flexible. I guess she doesn't appreciate when I do this. Marky, is that disturbing? Can you hear her in the sound booth? <laughs> yeah. Her shrieks of terror. I'm so sorry. I think that throughout, it's, while you're on the, camera, I want you to do that, like just... Move what? it yeah. for her and listen to her. It. I'll just do it every once in a while. You know, what's funny 
is before we get there, really quickly, Marky has the ability to stretch her skin under her chin out. So like I feel like she like shouldn't be super grossed out by it. Like she can do it a lot. I'll have her mm. do it for you later. Okay. Mm. Hot topics. Question number one. I have to Bum, stand to see. Mac or cheese or shells and Velveeta? Serena? Mac and cheese. <laughs> she hates Velveeta. Mac and cheese. Me too. Yes. I do not like Velveeta. It's disgusting. Yes, I would agree. Can, yeah. I, can I do shells and cheese? Do you not like the mac shape of the pasta? Well, I like I like the shells because they can like sometimes suction to your tongue a little bit. <laughs> that is true. And oh, it feels funny. I can see that. Uh, you can't do that, Marky. You have to pick one. Okay, Priscilla says shells and Velveeta. Okay. Kevin, going back, says with that <laughs> trachea, Buddy Crabtree could never pose as true. a woman. I, I don't That's intend to. Thing. That's I don't intend thing. to, so thank Amen. you. Johnny says homemade mac and cheese. That's the way to go. Mm -hmm. Yes. Chris says Sweet. mac and cheese. <laughs> Deb says homemade mac and cheese. Kraft. Kevin says Kraft. Mm -hmm. I like mm -hmm. Kraft macaroni yeah. and cheese. Well, one of the things my mom used to always make growing up is she would make hamburger meat and put that in with the mac and cheese. That's, That's good. the mm -hmm. best. Something my coffee drink on. <laughs> Pastor Nicole says shells. I'm sorry, I fed you shells, Serena. I, I did enjoy the mac and cheese that you fed me. She's it just was, being nice. It, no, it was good. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> I I don't love Velveeta because the Velveeta I feel like leaves a film in your mouth. Mm -hmm. Like it's mm, it's like yeah. slimy cheese. Yeah. It's not as great. Deb says Kraft mac and cheese versus homemade mac and cheese. Oh, I would still do Kraft mac and cheese all day. Really? I would do homemade all day. I, I'd do homemade too. I, I would it have never done that. It depends on who makes the homemade. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> homemade that, that is true. Cheese. That is true. <laughs> like I, it, it would really depend on who is making the homemade macaroni and mm. cheese. Like mm -hmm. yeah, that makes sense. That is Serena true. makes good mac and cheese. Oh, okay, so. question number two. Bum ba dum. Ultimate road trip snack. Okay, so here Ooh. this is really. For my benefit, because we've been talking mm. about our Texarkana trip that we have coming up. We're going, there's a whole bunch of people in the church, all three of us included, that are going to Texarkana this Sunday after church, and it's a 16-hour drive. Mm -hmm. What are your ultimate road trip snacks? Because we need to know them. We have 16 hours one way. Uh, Nicole says it depends on the World Health Organization. <laughs> if, they, if they homemade it. Absolutely. I would not eat their homemade macaroni and cheese. I, I mean, she capitalized Johnny, it. Johnny's so. going to make mac and cheese. That'll be good. I'm looking forward to that. Nice. Deb says nacho cheese Doritos are the ultimate road trip snack. And I knew that Marky would come alive with this question. It was really for Marky. Marky says ultimate is a variety. You need your real food, then your salty, then your sweet, then your caffeine, then your carbonated, then water. That's, That's complex. That's well, I guess she, her, her parents were evangelists, so she literally yes. lived on the road, probably. So, so that was her life. So I guess that makes sense. Pastor Nicole says Ranch Doritos, absolutely. Three mm. Musketeers and Mountain Dew. Last year when we did the trip to Texarkana, I basically was fueled by Mountain Dew Baja Blast. That was mm. the entirety of the trip. Gotcha. I, uh, for me, you probably wouldn't guess this for me. Um, you like getting I, soda. Yeah, I like uh, combos. So does George. Combos are great. They are great uh, road trip snacks. They also smell up the car. Oh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but they're really good. They're really good. Especially the pizza combos. I was great. literally about to say that's George's favorite as well. What? Wow, we are more alike than I realized. Johnny says Twizzlers, beef jerky, and crackers. Chris says beef jerky. 
Kevin says, I think it's called oh, Gorp. Oh, yeah. Good what? old raisins and peanuts. Oh. That's a, That's yeah. This is today's Octothorpe moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, as y'all, uh, Johnny asked what kind of combos. Now you know. I think we answered uh, that, yeah. Uh, Kevin says, sweet and savory in a handful. That's true. What kind of combos people? Pizza. I, I think mine is Cheez-Its. I really like Cheez-Its. Cheez it's our snack. Yep. Cheez-Its, and then as like a sweeter one, gummy worms. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, there's healthy yeah. versions of this too, but road trip. Yeah. There's like healthy it. versions of gummy worms? Sure. It's cool. the worms from the ground that you cook and you eat <laughs> the meat Protein. and stuff. Yep. <laughs> Johnny, <laughs> did we just become friends? <laughs> oh, I would say my go-to... It's not a snack, it's a drink for a road trip is usually a McDonald's caramel frap. That's my go-to. Because I don't like to snack a lot on the road or else mm. I get like sores from having too much saltiness, like I from eating that. chips all day. Mm. So I tend to try not to snack as much. But I always get a frap. Deb says peanut M&Ms. Well, as y'all are thinking of your road trip snacks, I mean, we have basically like five days until we're going. So as, mm. as these are coming up to you, Feel free to send us messages, and we'll let you know which snacks we chose to, to grab. This is Barrett's cabin. way of compiling a list of snacks for the road trip. <laughs> He's like, I can't think of anything good, so I'm just going to make a question <laughs> and have them think for me. Did I forget anything? I bought a lot. But Barrett prepared a few weeks ago and went grocery shopping for her snacks. Oh, so I it's did. too late. And Well, it's not too late because I definitely just got a box of Cheez-Its with caramel popcorn. Like, Ooh. It was really interesting, and I thought it looked weird and that's how shopping ends up happening for me is is this going to be weird maybe caramel popcorn cheez-its no caramel popcorn mixed in with cheez-its so it's like the two together i don't know i'll let jo you explain johnny was telling me last night about um deep fried butter yeah that was a thing a couple years ago that was like the state fair <sighs> snack in like alabama or arkansas or something with yeah. sticks of deep fried butter that's the South. 2000 and <laughs> Welcome like to the 10, South. I Eat some deep fried butter. That sounds so gross. That's like, oh, that's nasty. like a heart attack in a stick of, and a stick of butter. No <laughs> deep fried butter. <laughs> well, guys, make sure that you share the broadcast. Today is going to be an awesome, awesome episode. Share it. There are people that you know who need to see what is about to be taught. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for hanging with us. And Pastor Brian's here. Was so, that the... You already did two questions? I did. What were both of them? The second one, or the first one was macaroni and cheese or shells and Velveeta. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> um, man, that's a tough one. I like the shells and cheese, I think, now. But the shells growing and up Velveeta? was the, yeah, the shells and Velveeta. The mac and cheese when I was growing up, but they didn't have shells and Velveeta then, so, mm. but... Wow. What was the second one? Your favorite? Uh, ultimate road trip snack. Since oh. we're in preparation mode right now. Yeah. I don't know. I, I did notice. Uh, I noticed that, uh, hey, Kelvin, hey, Tracy, good to see you. That's, that's not what I was going to say. <laughs> I noticed, but I noticed that too. Um, I did notice that Natalie beat Johnny in here yesterday. She was oh, the wow. first comment, and today Kevin was the first comment. <laughs> Johnny, where well you done, at? Kevin. Johnny. <laughs> Man, what's stacking. happening? It's all that deep fried butter. Huh? It's true, it's slowing, slowing. down. <laughs> what was that? It's all that deep fried butter slowing oh, down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell them, 
Tell them what they won, Barrett. No, um, tell them what's going to happen with the... I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> tell them, y'all tell them real quick a little bit just uh, how, how it's going to change here in the next few weeks, how the broadcast is going to change. So we, Pastor announced it... Don't give them too much. Yesterday, that changes were coming. <laughs> and so we are going to be looking to make what's right super exciting for you. We have some brand new segments that are going to be coming up. We are also, as Pastor said yesterday, we have the opportunity to be streamed all across Pakistan. So we are looking to create some content just for you guys and have it be fun, exciting, different. It's going to be great. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know how much to tell them. That, that was good. I don't want. I don't want to tell them. Everything. Everything. Yeah. I was like, uh. I don't want to tell them everything. I'm excited about it. I was thinking about it this morning. I was really, really excited about it. So You're it's gonna, gonna be cool. Here's what we can tell you. You're gonna be seeing a lot more faces. You're gonna be seeing a lot more of your people regularly. So and content and content. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah. It's going to be great. Pastor Nicole called you a tease, or me a tease, <laughs> the whole broadcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Just as we were talking yesterday, I was like, man, this, this is going to be cool. Mm -hmm. so, awesome. Amen. Amen. Well, are you all ready to take a road trip? Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. It's going to be good. Excited. Awesome. What, what are you looking forward to the most? I love road trips. <laughs> I just, yeah. I love the time that you get to spend with people and listening yeah. to music, jamming out, mm -hmm. podcasts, audiobooks. Podcasts mm -hmm. Like that's, driving is relaxing for me. Mm -hmm. So like, that's like a good time to unwind, to pray, to do different things, especially when Serena falls asleep in the first 30 minutes of the trip. <laughs> <laughs> it's great so, to catch up on sleep. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, this trip but, is one that I've been looking forward to all year. Like George mm -hmm. and I drove it last year and it's, I really value the time that George and I get to have together. I think mm -hmm. I've said it on the broadcast before, but just having that time, he and I, like, mm -hmm. where we're not pulled with different things and we just mm -hmm. get to hang with each other, I'm really excited about it. And one of the things I'm really excited about, too, with being in Texarkana is, like, I just got a little bit of who Pastor Tracy yeah. is yeah. away from where he normally mm -hmm. operates, you know? Yeah. Um, but to actually be able to to be under that anointing yeah. in his hometown and is yeah. in the place where he's operated and most comfortable with. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like it's gonna be like it's gonna be it's awesome. Gonna be good. Yeah. yeah. Well and what's really cool is that there are so many people from the church that are going to. That's so true. it's like so the we'll people that are going mm -hmm. are literally going to be going and then bringing things back yeah. for yeah. the body. Yeah. So like it's not just a trip for one or two, like the people who mm -hmm. are going will receive and will get yep. to bring things back for everybody here, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. not everybody's able to go, but yeah. that's, we'll be able to carry that with mm -hmm. us. And really, I, I believe that we'll see the ministry go yeah. to another level because of that. Amen. So, yeah. Amen. Well, let's jump in. Glory to God. I think I'm on this camera. Yep. Hallelujah. And, uh, Listen, we just appreciate you so much. If you haven't done it already, please share the broadcast. And uh, we're looking forward to today's uh, episode, today's broadcast. We've been talking about the man who would be king. We're going to jump in today. I'm going to cover quite a bit. Right now, in the man who would be king, we're, we're in the middle of a transition from David being in the wilderness to moving to the throne. And there's a, these two chapters, chapter 27 and chapter 28, 
are some very interesting chapters. They are not, they're not your normal uh, chapters here uh, in this broadcast, but amen. Oh, wow. Kevin said, just going to put this out there. I have a CDL and I'm available to drive any amazing man of God around the continent at a moment's notice. Oh, man. <laughs> man, we'll take you up on that. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do something. Amen. And uh, I've, I've been wondering, Kevin, I'm like, when are you going to come by? That's what I want to know. I'm, I'm expecting you any time now. I just, uh, yeah, it's going to be a great one on Sunday. So we have we have special special guest on Sunday. So Kevin, if you get a chance to go out there next, uh, if you get a chance to go out there next week, I would highly recommend it. You'll enjoy it a lot. And uh, so anyway, in talking about the man who would be king, we're in 1 Samuel 27 and 28 today. I'm going to try to get through both of them. But it's interesting. It's some very, very interesting chapters, and you'll see why. But uh, we're looking at who is called to be a leader, a president of a country, a king of a country. Uh, you know, there, there could be people watching this uh, that literally become kings in some countries around the world. There can be people that will become president. Uh, but here's the thing. The thing, I heard this a while back, I think it was Lance Wall now in the Seven Mountain Strategy. He said, the thing that you bow to on the way up the mountain is the thing that you'll bow to when you're at the top of the mountain. And one of the things that you have to watch is, am I, am I bowing to God the whole way up the mountain? Am I prepared to be in that position? Because God needs people that are prepared. God needs people uh, that are ready that are ready. God needs people that are ready to lead. That means that we give ourselves to the things of God. And so as we look at this and we're looking at David's life, Saul's life, Jonathan, some other characters that are in here, as we're looking at this, one of the things that we want to do is what was godly about David? What was it that was right? What was it that I can apply uh, to our lives? What can we apply to our lives that we will go higher, that we will be prepared for promotion at our job, that we will be prepared uh, to be the shift supervisor, that we'll be prepared uh, to be uh, the person that God can use in any situation? Uh, what, is, what are the things that we will apply in our lives? And so as we're looking at this, ask yourself, how can I apply this to my life? And uh, just put it in the comments right now. Just, just drop it in the comments. I will be the leader God wants me to be. I will be the leader God wants me to be. I will be the leader God wants me to be. Exclamation point. Amen. <laughs> Let's look at uh, 1 Samuel 27. Amen. 1 Samuel 27, this is talking about David fleeing to the Philistines. Now, this is a very interesting thing because you remember that David uh, defeated Goliath and now he's going to the side of the Philistines. It's just a really interesting mix here. Now, he's not siding with them, but he's finding protection from Saul. And I want you to see something. Isn't it a shame? Isn't it a shame that David had to flee his own people and his own nation and stay with the Philistines, the enemies of Israel, to seek protection from his own people. 
This is, this is one of the things that I think is a tragedy in uh, the church as it has been. And here's what it said. Here's what I, I've heard this statement over the, uh, over the time. I've heard the, this statement said. The kingdom of God or the church is the only army that shoots its own wounded. The church is the only army that shoots its own wounded. And so you see this happening even right here with Saul and David. Uh, many times, if you see a leader fall, like everybody feels like it's their job to pile on. My goodness, pray for the man. Pray for the woman. Pray for them and lift them up. And don't be the one that piles on. I watch people like on social media all the time that's always piling on. Isn't it a shame that when somebody falls that there's not a crowd of Christians operating in mercy and love and forgiveness? That doesn't mean that they're excusing what they did wrong. But isn't it a shame that there's not a crowd of people that are actually there to help dress the wounds? And uh, all right, they got, they got tricked. They got deceived. They fell. But now let's not leave them there. Let's lift them up. And so here it is, uh, 1 Samuel 27, verse 1. Then David said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. So Saul had just repented again, but he recognizes Saul's not going to relent on this. He's going to keep being uh, who he is. He says, I will perish basically if I don't do anything. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. So David arose and crossed over, and he and the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So he goes over to the, the Philistine king. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. Now it was told David that David, or excuse me, it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, If now I have found favor in your sight, let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. The number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the Gezerites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites, for they were the inhabitants of the land from ancient times as you come to shore even as far as the land of Egypt. David attacked the land and did not leave a man or a woman alive, and he took away the sheep, the cattle, the donkeys, the camels, the clothing. Then he returned and came to Achish. Now, one of the things uh, that's very important, uh, one of the things that's so very important is for us to see this. So here is David's own people that are trying to kill him. King Saul's trying to kill him. But what you see in David, uh, many people will turn just, they'll turn into the enemy. They would turn into the enemy of the Israelites. But this is not what David does, and this is not what a good leader does. One thing that I've found is this. 
Never fall into the deception that a wrong action by one person gives me the right to do wrong. Never, and just put that in the comments, never does a wrong action by someone else give me a right to do wrong also. Never does the wrong action of someone else give me the right to do wrong also. And so what you see here is you see that David is not being trapped by, he's not being trapped uh, by this deception of Saul. He's not falling for that. The people that he's going out against, they're not they're not uh, against the they're not against uh, the Philistines. They're against Israel. So here, David is living in Philistine country, but he's actually attacking the enemies of Israel. He's attacking them. So even though he's being chased by the king of Israel, he's still standing up for the people of God. He's still standing up for God's people. He hasn't let this deception turn his mind. I've watched many times as people actually end up uh, being a friend to the who was once their enemy, and it was wrong because their enemy was doing the wrong things, but because somebody did something wrong. So many times, you know, I've even heard stories of people that were in the church, and then all of a sudden they had a fall, or all of a sudden somebody in the church did the wrong thing, and it turns them against the church as if everybody in the church is the same way. That's not the case. I've watched uh, people look at maybe a, a big-name minister who had a fall, and they're like, well, if that's who's leading the church, I don't want to be any part of that. And that's a complete deception. Like that guy's mess-up makes God a mess-up. That's not how it is. Understand that the deception of the enemy always wants to come in and get you off track with God. The deception of the enemy always is trying to get you off track with God. And if we know that, then we won't fall for it as much. God is always good. He's always absolute love. God is always good. He's always absolute love. It's never going to change. And no matter what men do around us, no matter what wrong they do, God's not going to change. And so now you see this. So he comes and he's attacking, he's protecting Israelites because these are people that were attacking Israel. He's protecting Israelites and he attacks them and it says he takes everything out. And then he says, now Achish said, the king says, where have you made raid today? And David said, he he pretends that he's upholding the Philistine, uh, he he pretends that he's upholding the Philistine uh, effort. And he says this, against the Negev of Judah and against the Negev of the Jeremites and against the Negev of the Kenites. Verse 11, David did not leave a man or a woman alive to bring to Gath, saying, otherwise they will tell about us, saying, so has David done and so has been the practice all the time he has lived in the country of the Philistines. So he knew that if if he had anything left in these enemies of the people of God, if he had anything left in the enemies of the people of God, then it it could all come back and then other people of God would be hurt in that way. And he says, I can't. I can't afford that. So he pretends, no, I'm attacking, I'm attacking Israel is what he tells this enemy. And so verse 12, So Achish believed David, saying, He has surely made himself odious or a bad smell among his people Israel. Therefore he will become my servant forever. 
So here's what David is doing. He's going out. He's actually, no matter what situation he found himself in, he's upholding the things of God. He's upholding the people of God no matter what. And, and now this king says, hey, I want him, and maybe he didn't tell David this, I want him to be my servant forever. So now here he is, and I've turned this man, and now he's, he's going to be against the people of God with me. But he didn't know that God actually was using him to set the people of God free, and it was ut utilizing a people who were the enemies of God, using their own supplies against them. So the Lord had maneuvered David and now was helping the people of God in, in these places. Now, here's what I want you to see, because some people... I, I think this is why there's an interesting chapter. I think some people would say, well, wait a minute. He's, he's going out there and he's, he's, taking, he's killing people. He's taking people out. That's true. He is. And uh, you see another, you remember what Saul got in trouble for? The Lord told him, take this group of people completely out. Now, why is that? Why would a loving God do that? And this is something that I think a lot of people don't really have an answer for. Why would a loving God tell his people to take out the enemies of God? Got an answer? <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to answer, I'm going to tell you. So one of the things that you'll see is this, is that God is absolute love. He is absolute love. So that seems to not line up. But here's the other thing. God can see the perfect future. So he can see completely into the future and see everything that will happen within these people's lives. I will tell you that I know, I know from what I see in the Word that there's no hope for those people to come to the place where they believe God. And because there's no hope for them, he's saying it's better for them to not affect anybody else or cause anybody who would be saved uh, to be turned or so that now, see, here's the issue. God's not looking at just the earth's period of time, this age. God's looking at eternity. And if one person who won't be turned will now turn somebody else, that person's eternity has now flipped. And God's saying, I don't want to lose one person that will accept me. I don't want to lose one person that will go to heaven. And I don't want them to go to hell. I don't want one person that could be in heaven to be in hell. And we're not talking about just for a lifetime here on earth. We're talking about for eternity. For all eternity to have being torture of hell. And God says, I don't want one of them to be turned. It would be better for these to go ahead and be wiped out. And if they're already going to be going to hell, let's go ahead and get them there before they take anybody else with them. This is a covenant heart of God that's protecting his people. And so a lot of times people don't see People don't see that God is omniscient, that he knows everything. And when he tells a people to, to take out these people, this was him saying, look, I, want, I don't want anybody else to be turned. I don't want anybody else to suffer for eternity. And I know already all of these people are going to be in suffering for eternity. And I know that they're going to take people with them. And they'll kill people along the way. 
So you look at Achish, even though he was giving David this land, he was really after making David his servant so that he could utilize David in war and come against Israel. He recognized that this could be a, a very important weapon. And he was, of course, fooled. But it was the Lord helping to actually set up the people of God, his covenant people, to be blessed. Now, the great thing about this is today, through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, everybody can be born again. Every single one of us can know him. Whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, every person can say, Jesus, I believe on you. You're the Lord of my life. And no matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, you can be in the family of God. And this is what God was getting to. He wanted to get to the place where everybody that would have God could be saved simply by turning their heart to him. And then they could be a part of his family and they wouldn't be suffering in eternity in hell. And so it's so important for us to see this because I think a lot of people, they just look at the, the temporary physical uh, pieces that are in action, the temporary action of taking a, a family out, taking a nation out, but they don't realize that nation's heart is already turned and nobody's going to come out of that nation and come to the Lord. All they're going to do is cause destruction and they're going to steal, kill, and destroy not only other people, but also the people that God himself is in covenant with. And this is another important aspect. When you turn into an enemy of God, when you turn your heart to be an enemy of Almighty God, instantly you put yourself in a position where God has to protect His people against you. Because you're saying, I'm God's enemy, and I'm going against Him, and that means I'm against all of His people as well. And God is a covenant God. Put it in the comments. God is a covenant God. And as this is so important because a covenant, we talked about it early on, is an everlasting love for the people that he's in covenant with. Now today, he will be in covenant with anybody. He'll be in covenant with anybody who will accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's great news. That means every single one of us have an inheritance that we can pull from, that we can be a part of, and we can serve the Lord. God is a covenant God. He's a covenant protector. He's a covenant deliverer. He's a covenant restorer. He's a covenant healer. He's a covenant provider. He's a covenant savior. This is who he is. And anybody that wants to be a part of him, they can be a part of that everlasting covenant. But if somebody makes himself an enemy of God, you're going to meet a covenant protector. And that's not a good thing. You don't want to come against the people of God that are under an anointing of God. You don't want to do that. You want to make sure that you're on the side of God. And even if you're not you know, a part of God's family, it, you want to make sure that you are treating well the people who are in covenant with God. Uh, he said, who can curse who God has blessed? You know, that, the guy in the old, old, uh, old Testament, he said, who can curse who God has blessed? Who can curse? Balaam, who can curse who God has blessed? I wanted to call him a, a prophet, but he wasn't necessarily a prophet for God, but he, was, he operated in some supernatural stuff. He said, who can curse who God has blessed? 
And he said, look, God has blessed these people. We want to operate and we want to bless the people who are in covenant with God. All right, so now let's move to chapter 28, another very interesting chapter. So it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your man, men. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel was dead. The prophet Samuel was dead. And all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. Mediums and spiritists. So when you look at the word medium, uh, you see somebody who is basically a mistress to spirits. Okay, uh, If you go into the original language, they are a mistress to spirits. And you also see that the word medium means that they come in between man and a spirit and they are a flow through point, a medium in between uh, the two, the spirit and the man. And so here's the issue though. They're, the reason why Saul had kicked them out was because they're not operating by the power of God. They're not utilizing God as their source. They're utilizing a dark art. They're utilizing familiar spirits. And uh, they are not honoring God. They are not worshiping God. They are not drawing on God. And this is one of the things that you can find. If you ever want uh, to keep your life in its correct order, there's four things that I've said. Uh, you can put these in the comments. There's four things that I've, I've given you as keys on how to know doctrine and how to know what's going on or what you need to do. Number one, know that you know that you know God is absolute love, pure, perfect love. Number two, we must believe in him and in his love as a child. Believe in God's love as a child. Believe in God as a child. Number three, uh, who gets the glory and number four, who's the source? These are four things. God is absolute love. Two, we, believe, we must believe in him with childlike faith. Number three, who's, who gets the glory and who's the source? So when a medium would be in operation, God would not be the source and God would not get the glory. And you can see very quickly that they're out of line and out of order. Sometimes you know, you'll see things in the world. Uh, a good leader understands that if God's not the answer of those last two questions, it's not something that we should be involved in. Uh, when, uh, I'll give you an idea, when government becomes the source, it's out of line. When government doesn't give God the glory, it's out of line. Uh, it's the same, same type of action. When, uh, when you see like a program in a city or something like this, and God's not the source, and God doesn't get the glory, like a social program, it's out of line. And it doesn't mean that it's necessarily a bad program, but it needs to recognize God as the source, and it needs to recognize 
that God is the one that gives the glory. He gives every good and perfect gift. And so if something worked, it's because he gave it, and he needs to get the glory for it. Over in Acts, you see the king, uh, king Herod there. It says he didn't give God the glory. Uh, the, the people started to praise him like he was a god, and he didn't, he didn't turn and give God the glory. It, in other words, he was already an enemy of God. It says an angel smote him, boom, and he, and he fell down dead. This is a very important. Who gets the glory and who's the source? Notice that's New Testament. That's in the middle of the age of grace. He was still an enemy of God. And he was messing around with things that he should not have been messing around with. He should not have received that praise. But he received the praise. He didn't give God the glory for it. And that's why you'll hear me say, I noticed one time with Jesus, if anybody ever could have received glory on the earth as a man, it would have been Jesus. But when he came up and he was talking to uh, the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler says, good master. And Jesus corrects him. And he says, there's no one good but the Father. In other words, immediately, even Jesus said, no, God is good. God is good. He gave God the glory. And, and this is the problem that you have uh, with a medium is they're operating from the wrong source and they're not giving God the glory. And so there's many times where people are operating in things and they don't even realize God's not in this and then they're wondering why they don't have solutions. A good leader is going to recognize that the only solution that's going to work and eternally work is whatever God's going to get, give me. I'm not going to find a good solution in logic. As part of the things that we're running into now in our country is we've come up with so many different solutions that God was not a part of, and now the Band-Aid is falling off. And that's, that's, how, that's why it's falling off, because God wasn't involved in it in the first place. We want, if you want to be a good leader, you make sure that God brings about your answers. It's a, one word from God can change everything, and that's what will overcome the world is when we put faith in what God's up to and what he's doing. So if we truly want to overcome the world's problems, we have to put faith in what God said. And so we have to hear what God said, and we have to be in fellowship with him. So a good leader is in fellowship. He trusts God's absolute love as a child, and he gives God the glory. And that's right, Holly says, God must bring forth the answer. Exactly. If he doesn't bring it forth, then we're wasting our time. That's why a lot of times I'll be sitting there, and people will be asking me questions, and I'll just sit there and say, you know, if I haven't heard from the Lord yet, I'm not going to give you something that is just coming out of my brain. If it's coming out of my brain, it's limited. I have, I have to hear from him, and as I'm obedient on what he says, he'll be the source, and then my job is to give him the glory. Uh, so you'll see a lot of solutions come up in society, and God's not the source of at all. And this is a big problem because all you're going to do is put a Band-Aid on an arterial wound. You're not going to stop it. All you're going to do is think that it stopped. You actually may put yourself in more danger because now by the time you realize it, you've lost more blood. So it's important for us to understand that we give God the glory and we only draw on Him as a source most of everything that we need is already right here, but if it's not already written in here through our relationship with him, he'll tell us what to do. He'll show us how to do it. He'll show everything that we need. Amen. 
But he says, I'm not going to find a good solution with natural logic. I have to put faith in what God said. Exactly. All right, so now Saul had removed the mediums and the spiritists. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. I'm just telling you, I'm thinking through the rest of this chapter. This is such a great chapter to learn from. And I want you to see this. Saul's afraid because they have an army amassed against him. And he realizes, he realizes that I'm in trouble. Now watch this. This, this begins, very, each verse is so very important in discerning what's actually happening in this. All right. So then it says, so... Saul, when Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. Verse 6, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. So now Saul's asking God, Lord, give me wisdom. And the Lord's not answering. Saul has driven himself beyond He's, he's driven himself beyond the point of the Lord's help. He stopped listening to God for so long. This is what we were talking about yesterday. It's in today's uh, age that we're in, it would be like having our conscience uh, seared. He said no to God so long that now he's not even hearing from God. He's not even hearing him. And so this is, when, this is one of the things that we want to do. In order, you know, if you put your hand on a stovetop and seared your hand, you would lose feeling in your hand. You would lose the, the nerve endings and you would stop to feel in your hand. Well, this is what we can do in our actions by believing, uh, by believing things that aren't of God. When we start believing things that God didn't say, if you go back to the scripture that Barrett uh, quoted yesterday, put that scripture in, please, Barrett, where it talks about having your conscience seared. I think it's in Timothy. Um, when it talks about having your conscience seared, you'll see that it belongs to believing the doctrines of demons. It, you're listening to the wrong voices. And then all of a sudden, in other words, you're listening to the wrong voices and not listening to the right voices. In other words, I'm taking action on the wrong voices and I'm not taking action on the right voices. And so 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. So what you see there is you see that all of a sudden you start to lose feeling. You lose touch with what's real and what's not. And this is how people get deceived. Your conscience is seared. So in this age... When we tell God yes, we open up that connection. But when we tell God no, it sears that connection. So that's why you'll hear me say all the time, tell God yes quickly. Say, never tell him no. If God asks you to do something or tells you to not do something, say yes to him quickly and you keep that communication open. Saul now has listened to the wrong voices for so long he can't even get in touch with God anymore. Now one thing I want you to see here, and he can't hear from them. No, the Lord is not answering there. Now I want you to see this. Saul approaches God in the right ways, but God's not answering him anymore. Either by, either by the Lord just not saying anything to him, or either by uh, Saul not having the ability to hear from him. But when he approaches him, he doesn't, and he asks God for questions, 
the Lord's not getting, that answer's not getting through. Neither by dreams or by Urim or the prophets. All right, now watch this. This is an important point. Because he, and when he approached them in the right channels, it wasn't working. That'll be a key in a second. Then Saul said to his servants, seek for me a woman who is a medium. What? So now I'm, God's not answering me. And you kind of see Saul's heart here. Saul's heart was never really for God after he made that decision. Saul's heart was for himself. God, I'm ditching you and I'm going to go find uh, basically an enemy of God. I'm going to ditch your ways and I'm going to go find me an enemy. And watch, why is, he, why is he doing this? Fear. Fear. He had let fear hit him. And now he's ditching God for fear's sake. You know, I think that we've just had a very good um, picture of what that looks like. For fear's sake of a virus. Many people immediately went to the world solution where the world was the source instead of God being the source. And, and I'm, not, you, I'm not telling anybody necessarily what to do, but here's the thing. The Lord got on to people for not going to him first. He got on, I think it was King Hezekiah that was going to die, and the, Hezekiah repented. See, all that, we need to repent. If we find ourselves, man, I've, I've been in fear, I've lost, I've walked away from godliness, we just need to repent. And, and all of a sudden, he was changed and he was given 15 more years. But the thing that the Lord said to him was, you didn't seek me first. You went straight to the world for your answers. Am I your source or is the world your source? You went straight to the world for your answers. We don't need to be those kind of people. We're, we're the people in John 6 that says, our work is to believe on him. Our work is to believe on him. That's our one job, believe on him. And if we believe on him, we'll take right actions. But not go to the world and believe on their ways. Their ways are always going to be lower than God's ways. And so here he is. Saul said to his servant, seek for me a woman who's a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a meteor at Endor. Now, I want you to watch this. He's afraid of the Philistines, but watch what he does. I, I read a commentary that said this was like six miles, this place where he was at to where he went to meet the lady was six miles away through enemy territory. As the king, he he went through enemy territory to get a word. That's what fear will do. Fear will drive you farther than you ever should go if you let fear rule instead of Jesus. We must operate by faith. God, you got this. I will not. I will cast down fear. I will cast down anxiety and worry. I will cast all my cares on you and I'll be anxious for nothing. I'll be anxious for nothing. I won't worry about a thing. I've said it for many years. A good leader, hear this, a good leader learns to recognize the emotion of fear. Fear is a spirit. Fear is a spirit, but it causes emotions inside of us. A good leader learns to recognize, please put that in the comments, a good leader learns to recognize the emotion of fear, and then as soon as you uh, recognize that emotion, as soon as you recognize that emotion, do everything to drop that fear. Because fear can draw the problem to you. 
Fear can draw the problem to that. You're actually going to see this. All right. So now he says, he, watch what he does. He says, seek for me a woman. And then verse 8. Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes. He went, he and his two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. Now watch this. This, I think this action, as I was reading this, it was so important. So, so important. He, he changes his clothes, and he goes by night to meet this woman. By his own, I want you to see this, by his own actions. Now he knows, I'm going through enemy territory, so I can't be dressed as a king. I can't wear my kingly garments. Oh my goodness, this will preach, preach, preach. He, by his own action, removes his kingship to go and grab a hold of a source that's not God. He removes his identity and anointing as a king to go and pull on a source that's not God because of his fear, and it is his downfall. This is the end of him being king of Israel. He, he moves and he completely removes his identity. I believe in this moment right here, his identity was lost. You'll see a very similar thing in the New Testament in the opposite. Blind Bartimaeus was a beggar. It says, and when Jesus came by, he said, Son of David, he recognized him as the Messiah. And when he recognized him as the Messiah, Jesus said, tell him to come here. He took off his beggar's clothes and he came to Jesus. He left what he was, and he became something else. Right here, Saul leaves who he was, and it's at that moment, it's his downfall. Watch, many Christians have taken off their kingly robes of being a child of God because of fear, and then they've left, and they've, they've received the results of not being a child of God because they, instead of putting on faith, they put on fear. And you look in Isaiah 60, it says, take off, in other words, uh, put on the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. We must put on our kingly robes. We must put on faith. We must put on on purpose love, not take off these things because of fear. Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes. And when he and two men were with him, they came to the woman by night. He said, conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, don't do this with God as your source. Bring about something by source other than God. Uh, you have what you're going to see here. I'm going to give you a question in just a minute that is scholars debate this, and I'm not trying to debate it, but I want to give you a few things that I think will really, really help. All right, so then he says, Conjure up for me by a source other than God. God's not talking to him. Remember, one, point one, God's not talking to him, or he's not hearing God, one or the other. Two, Conjure up for me by a source other than God. All right. And then he says this. Verse 9. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? 
Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Look at this, this action. Now Saul is making a statement using the Lord's name. When he has left everything of the Lord. He, I'm going to tell you, Saul probably thinks he's not in the wrong. I guarantee you he is completely deceived, just like he was deceived at chasing and trying to kill David. He's completely deceived thinking he's doing what's right. Just like he thought it was right, this is what cost him the presence of the Lord in the beginning of his life. He, what cost him is he assumed an authority that was not his. And he thought he was right. He was even arguing to Samuel that it's right. It, this is right. I wanted to honor God, but it wasn't right. He thought he was right. This is the problem. This is why we need humility. Because if we are outside of humility, if we're outside of humility, then all of a sudden, everything that's not of God can come and, and bring deception with it. But if we will humble ourselves in the presence of God, it will expose the deceptions. Saul's not humbling himself. He just keeps running in his pride. He keeps running in what he thinks is right. I can about guarantee you, by dealing with people for years now, I can about guarantee you that he thinks he is 100% right because I've found most people don't think that they're missing it when they're deceived. They think that they're right. They don't have a heart that's trying to do evil. They're just deceived. But again, by definition, deception means that you don't know you're deceived. And the only way to come out of that is humility to the things of God. He's not humbling himself. And here he is. He thinks he's doing everything right. And now he's even using the Lord's name in vain. I, by the Lord, you, no harm will come to you. Like he's got a right to use that name. All right. Then the woman said, the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, amen, Buddy said, the only way out of deception is humility. Put that in the comments. This is such a huge point. It comes up all the time. It is one of the major things. It is a weapon against deception. And deception is the only weapon that the devil has. Deception is the only weapon that the devil has. You see it in Revelation. Every time he comes into the world or goes out of the world, he takes deception with him. Deception is the only weapon that the devil has. And humility towards God is a weapon exactly against deception. Humility is a weapon. We ought to be so good at being humble. We ought to, we ought to be so humble because it will keep us out of that. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid, but what do you see? Now I want you to see something here. This is not Saul seeing Samuel at this point. This is not Saul hearing Samuel. This is the woman being a medium. Here's Saul. Here's the medium. Here's the spirit. Now, 
I want you to see this because it's important. The spirit that comes up is Samuel. I mean, Saul's not even seeing Samuel yet. He's having to ask the woman, what do you see? What, do you, what is he saying? He has to ask this. And watch what she says. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. Or uh, another word for this actually is in the original language, it actually can mean, I see a God coming up out of the earth. I see a God coming up out of the earth. All right, now, he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. Now, no here is a strong word. The original language can also mean he perceived. In other words, this is not a no that you know that you know. This is a, I think it is. He perceived it. He perceived that it was Samuel, and he bowed his face to the ground and did homage. Now, there's a big theological debate as to whether or not this is actually Samuel or if it's a, a demonic spirit. And I want, you to, I want you to see a couple of things. Um, I have an opinion on it, but I want you to see that based off of just what's in this chapter, it's hard to say which one is which. But here's what I want you to see. A couple of things. Remember the, remember the first thing I said. God's, Saul's not hearing God. So when Saul goes about God the right way, and he's not hearing God, do you think he's going to hear God when he goes about the wrong way? Now, if you know the rest of the story, I'm going to, I'm going to just give you the brief rundown. Whatever this is, a spirit, Samuel himself or whatever, gives Saul a prophecy, and the prophecy comes true, right? But some people would say, well, he prophesied and it came true. It must be Samuel. No, 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 no. He can plan a thought of fear. And then Saul can grab a hold of that fear, and fear can bring it to himself. In other words, that was not necessarily going to come true until Saul received that deception in himself. And so I I want you to see this. But, see, when he laid down his kingly robes, now he's not operating at all under the anointing. That opens himself up to all kinds of junk and garbage. So this doesn't necessarily have to be like a prophecy from God. A lot of times you, you got to remember that the, the Antichrist is going to deceive many people. Many people, right? Many people. And, and it's going to look like part of it's true. Now here's the other thing. Watch this. So if, if Saul wasn't hearing God when, if Saul was not hearing God when he was going to the Lord the right way, What makes us think he's going to hear God, God's voice through the prophet Samuel? What makes us think when he goes through the wrong way? All right, so that's, I would say that this is probably more, and I'll give you why, a familiar spirit. And so then here's the other thing. If what source, who's the source of this? Is the source of this God? No, the source is not God. So this can't be God's answer in that way. Here's something else. A familiar spirit, the reason why they're called familiar spirits is because many times the people, there will be spirits. We know from the Bible that angels are assigned to specific people. Uh, Remember in Acts it said, uh, oh, that's not Peter, 
because it looked like Peter outside the gate. They said, that's not Peter, that's his angel. They had an understanding that a lot of times the angel that was assigned to them looked like them. And then in, you have to understand in the uh, knowledge of angels, angels are designed to keep something. They kept the garden. They kept the tree. They're keepers, right? And so uh, many times when you see an angel who's a keeper, they will keep that child protected. They will keep that man when he's called to be a leader and everybody's trying to kill him. You know, they will keep that person. They, they keep them. They're a protector. They're a keeper. They're also a messenger of God. So that nature of the angel, even though we know that demons are fallen angels, but they still have that nature to keep. And so they'll keep territory. They'll fight off territory. So when the angel came through, uh, tried to come through to Daniel, it said that the prince of Persia, the fallen demonic principality, was keeping the area of Persia and fighting back the archangel Michael from getting to Daniel to answer his prayer. He, that nature is still the same, to keep things and hold territory because that was their original uh, nature, so that's how they operate. So then, um, does the angel grow with us? I don't think that they grow with you, but they have a similar look, especially, I would say, probably as we're adults. But that's a good question, Arabella. So this angel is designed to keep. So now this demonic spirit, if they were designed to keep as an angel, you have to understand that this is the way that they know, and that's how they will operate a lot of times with people as well. I imagine, I don't know this for a fact, and I, we do know that there's not as many demons as there are angels, but specifically on men that would be of power like this, we can, we can come to the conclusion that there's a demonic force that's designed to keep Saul deceived, while he would have an angel that would be designed to keep him out of deception. And then here's what you see. Many times that demonic spirit is what's called a familiar spirit. They can look similar. They can act similar. If a person is listening more to that demonic spirit than they are to the voice of the Lord, then they will actually take on the personality and some of the characteristics. And if they're, if they're possessed by a demon, then they can literally take on the characteristics of that demon and they'll look very similar or the, very familiar. And so if think about this. If a demon was assigned to Samuel, wouldn't he know how Samuel acted and how he felt? Well, you can just watch somebody who watches their favorite preacher. Before long, they'll start receiving an impartation of that favorite preacher. They'll talk like him. They'll act like him. They'll make statements like him. They'll walk like him. They'll have gestures like them. This is why it's called a familiar spirit. So many mediums, if I can just paint you a picture of this because I want you to understand it. Many mediums, what they will do is they, it looks like they have supernatural knowledge, but they actually don't have supernatural knowledge. They're just talking to familiar spirits. So um, let me, let me uh, get two of you guys up here real quick and just stand, stand beside me so that it can be seen in the, hopefully in the screen. Sounds like it's pouring down. There you go. All right, good. So now let's have you back up back behind me so there we go okay now so you can see this picture all right so here we have let's say uh that 
Barrett, it's backwards on the TV, that's weird. Let's say that Barrett is trying to uh, get a word or find out where she needs to go, right? And, and let's say that Buddy is involved in what she's trying to find out. So then Barrett can go to a medium or a psychic. Now watch, again, who's the source? It's not God. And the, the word very clearly says that they are an abomination. You know, witchcraft is an abomination, right? And so uh, somebody who's operating as a psychic and as a medium is operating in witchcraft, is operating without God being the source, and this is part of the reason why it's such an abomination. So let's say that Barrett needed to know information, and Buddy had that information. Now let's say, and the psychic and the medium, just to give you a quick rundown of really simply not, not how it works. So then the psychic or the medium, all they do is they have given themselves to the power of demonic forces, whether they know it or not. And they're in communication with those demonic forces. So this psychic has the ability, as, as they're giving themselves, to talk to the spirit that's assigned to Buddy and talk to the spirit that's, designed, uh, that's assigned to Barrett. And so Barrett will say, well, I need to know, is Buddy for me or against me? And then let's say that Buddy is sitting there and in his house and he's not operating by God, but in his house he just says out loud, it can operate a couple of times, a couple of ways. Let me show you two ways. So number one, he never says or does anything. But the demon that's assigned to him goes, hey, Barrett doesn't like you, and I think you need to make plans against her. All right, now Buddy never says anything, he never does anything, but he hears that in his spirit man. And so now he lets his mind run on that. And then uh, the psychic says, the psychic says, oh, you need to know if Buddy's for you or against you. And she, she does all of her stuff, or the psychic or the medium does all their stuff. And then all of a sudden, what they do is they get in touch with this demonic spirit or a familiar spirit that's with Buddy, and the spirit says, yeah, he's thinking about uh, how he needs to protect himself from Barrett because he doesn't trust her. And then it, the psychic and the medium comes, he's against you. Even now, he's planning in his head how to protect himself against you. And then Barrett, believing that, can go and approach Buddy, and, and then Buddy's like, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, you know, may try to lie, or he may say, how did you know that? And it looks like it's real. Another thing that can happen, so see, it's not that complicated what happens, but who's the source and who gets the glory? See, this is not God, and this is where they entertain familiar spirits. They literally open themselves up to be oppressed by devils. Now, the other thing that can happen is the familiar spirit is hanging around Buddy. He learns his ways. He sees how he thinks. Last time in this situation, he was thinking this, and he did this action. And so the familiar spirit sees him in another time doing this action, and he has a good idea what he's thinking. And so then they, they can pass that information on. Or another thing is, Buddy's sitting there, and let's say he tells his wife, you know, I just don't know about this. Um, you know, uh, I just... I, I think that she might be against us. I, I'm going I'm to take action. I'm going to go against her. And then the, the medium talks to the familiar spirit who was just listening in on the conversation and then comes back and says, yeah, he's taking action against you. So it's very similar. But here's what I want you to see. Those, those keepers, 
those demonic spirits and even the angels who are not, who are not demonic spirits, they can take on the personality and even the looks or even uh, like if it was a demonic spirit, and let's say that Buddy entertained that demonic spirit all his life, he would start to look like that spirit. He would start to physically look, because you change the root, you change the fruit. And he would take on. So then if you saw the spirit and you saw Buddy uh, standing side by side, you'd be like, man, that looks similar. They, you remind me a lot of... This person who also had that spirit. You look so much like your dad. And because his dad entertained that spirit, and then that spirit passed on to Buddy, and what he's doing is those familiar spirits are just passing their traits on. Okay, thank you guys. So then what you see is when this spirit comes up out of the ground, it's not just, uh, it's not necessarily Samuel, it's a familiar spirit. You're not bringing up Samuel by God. You're not bringing up Samuel uh, because you're doing it right. He, God's not the source. Uh, God wasn't talking to you. Why should he talk to you now through his prophet? Here's the other thing. If you remember in, uh, the, Old, or in the New Testament when Jesus tells the story about the rich man, there's so much in that story. Oh my goodness, there's so much stuff. If you remember about the rich man and the beggar Lazarus, you'll see that the rich man was buried on the earth, but his spirit and his soul were in hell, were in Hades. And it says, he saw afar off across the gulf, he saw afar off across the gulf, uh, he saw the beggar Lazarus. And in what's called Abraham's bosom or paradise, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's the same place. And so when you see this, you see it's afar off. He's in the earth. The rich man is in hell in the earth. Where did this spirit come up from looking like a god? From the earth. But the beggar was in, in Abraham's bosom, was in paradise. He was above, you see. He was above. He wasn't in the earth like it, like it looks like there. He was above. And so I think that this, just when it says he came up out of the earth, I think it's, I think it's the wrong way. And um, so is there a complete proof of all of that? No, that's why scholars argue about it. But I want to give you uh, some pers uh, perspective of it. So then he says this. He says, what is, her, what is this form? And she said, an old man is coming up. He's wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed his face, or he perceived that it was Samuel. And he bowed his face to the ground and did homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am greatly distressed for the Phil Philistine. I'm going to show you one more proof that it wasn't God as well. He said, um, For the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and no longer answers me, either through the prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have called you that you may make known to me what I should do. Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? The Lord has done accordingly as he spoke through me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Now, how would the, this spirit know this if it wasn't Samuel? Because it was a familiar spirit assigned to him, and he was there when Samuel said it. Then he says this, 
Remember, deception is the key. They always want to deceive. They'll come as an angel of light. They'll come as a quote-unquote God coming up out of the ground. They always want to deceive. Verse 18, As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Now we know if you, and we're going to read this, uh, that this comes true. This comes to pass. Uh, Watch this though, verse 20. Then Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. Also, there was no strength in him, for he had, he had eaten no food all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was terrified and said to him, Behold, your maidservant has obeyed you, and I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to your words which you spoke to me. So now also, please, listen to the voice of your maidservant and let... Let me set a piece of bread before you that you may eat and have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. However, his servants together with the woman urged him, and he listened to them. So he arose from the ground and sat on his bed. The woman had, fattened, had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly slaughtered it, and she took flour, kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread from it. She brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they arose and went away that night. And what I want you to see this is this. Is here's, here's Saul when he receives the message from whatever this is, be it Samuel or be it a, a familiar spirit, a demonic familiar spirit, what happens to him? Immediately, basically, life leaves him. This, that's not what the voice of God does. The voice of God doesn't do that. The voice immediately a fear hits him so much he doesn't even want to eat, right? That's not what God does. That's not now, here's the thing. If you set yourself as an adversary of the Lord, these kind of things do happen in that way. And we are to fear the Lord, but you have to understand that when it says fear the Lord, it means an extreme reverence. Not like a phobia fear, but an extreme reverence of God. So much so, I've said it like this, so much so that when we're fearing God correctly, people may uh, think that we're scared of them. But it's an extreme reverence because in the New Testament it says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. So when we receive that perfect love, we'll step out of fear. We'll stop going after the wrong ways, the ways that aren't of God, and we'll go after him and we will receive. He's, in, he's the author of peace. He's the author of peace. And that's not what we see happen to Samuel. So I think with those four different areas, I think that we can assume, and again, it's an assumption, but I think we can assume this was not... The prophet Samuel, this was a familiar spirit. And his job was to instill fear into Saul. And the problem was not that God wouldn't have protected Saul. Obviously, Saul's been messed up. And the presence of God left Saul a long time ago. Years ago, the presence of God left Saul. But why is he still alive? Because Saul had not left everything of God. But when he takes off his kingly robe, 
and he, and he walks away from doing it God's way and he does not repent. He steps into, I want to draw on the source other than God. He steps out from everything that God was doing for him. He had probably had no idea how merciful God was being. He stepped out from the mercy of God and all, immediately a familiar spirit is allowed to then give him this fearful statement and we know that it comes true. He receives that fear and remember uh, Job said it like this, the thing I feared the most has come upon me. Fear will draw those things to you. And so can you see how these two chapters are very interesting chapters? There's a lot in it and some interesting doctrines in these, in these chapters as well. But I th hope that that's helped you. So as a leader, we need to make sure that we keep God as the source. As a leader, we need to make sure that he gets the glory. As a leader, we need to make sure that we put down fear and put on humility. And you know, just because God... For me, I'll tell you what I would do today. If I'm seeking God and I'm not hearing from Him, I'm not hearing from Him, this is what I would immediately do. Lord, where, where am I missing it? I, I'm going to hit my face, not in front of a familiar spirit, not in front of a medium. I'm going to hit my face in front of my loving Father. And, and I'm going to repent and say, Lord, I don't know where I'm missing it, but I'm going to be obedient to whatever I know that you've told me, and I won't stop being obedient to that, and I'll check my life. Generally, if I find myself uh, having not heard from God, I'll say, I'll say, God, you know, somewhere I've missed it. And I'll start reviewing, help me see where I've missed it at. Because I know you're always broadcasting to me. If I can't hear you, it's my fault. Especially today that we have Christ, we're connected by the Holy Ghost. He's always broadcasting what, need, what we need. So if I don't hear from him, I either know I don't need an answer, or two, I have somehow broken the fellowship, not relationship, but I've broken the fellowship, and I need to reconnect that. So a lot of times... What I'll do is I'll go back and I'll say, okay, what have you told me to do and am I doing anything different? Am I being disobedient in any way? Have I missed anything? I, I review my life. Holy Spirit, shine your light on me so that I can see where have I missed it in this way. And then I'll just correct that. I'll repent and I'll correct that right there in that, in that time. I'll just immediately, Lord, I, I repent. I am so sorry I missed that. I will not do that again. I go back to being obedient. Thank you so much for showing it and give, showing it to me and giving me the strength to do that. And almost immediately I'll, I'll hear the voice of the Lord when that happens. Uh, now, or he's not talking to me. In other words, he's not, he's not, there's not an answer. Many times we want an answer to be a certain way by a certain time, and that's not God's way. And so all of a sudden we're trying to push into something that's not God. We need to back off. We need to say, okay, hey, you're God. You can get my attention. <laughs> if I'm missing it, you can get louder. And if I really am missing it, I'll tell Pastor Brian to come and knock on your door and tell you. you know? And so this is, this is the way. He's merciful. He's loving. He knows your address. He knows how to get your attention. He knows what buttons work with you. If, he, if you're not hearing from him and you've searched yourself, he's not, he doesn't have an answer that you want right now. God's big enough to get our attention. Amen? Say, put that in the comments. God's big enough to get my attention. Stop letting a timetable or the calendar tell you you've got to make a decision. 
get our, let's get our relationship with him right so that whatever he says, we're ready to go. Amen? I hope that you've enjoyed this today, and I hope that you've uh, learned a lot about just what was going on in these two chapters. I know when I read over them, I started, I started right away saying, Lord, I need your help to, to get this across and communicate it because it's some stuff, literally, what we just talked about, scholars argue over. And, uh, and I'm not claiming to have all of that down pat, uh, but there's some things that I do see there. Specifically, God's way wasn't working, but now it's going to work through a medium who's not using God's way. I just, that, that's hard for me to see it any other way. So, amen. I saw uh, Miss Randy, she said something up here about Job. Said, and Job, we have quoted that scripture uh, that the thing Job feared came upon him, and then we have focused on our fears. I, haven't we done that wrong? <laughs> I know. Lord, we repent. We've got to, we must move to the place where we learn to recognize the emotion of fear and put it down. Walk in the peace and the rest of God. And uh, so praise God. I just, I saw a buddy uh, donate and sow into the kingdom and partner with us today. And I saw Priscilla. Lord, I just pray that anything that anybody gives, that it will be blessed, pressed down, shaken together and running over to get the good news of God out there, Lord, so that we can get people in the place of the blessing of God and never stray from it. Thank you, Lord, for helping us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us that. We just praise you. If you want to give, I want to pray for everybody here in just a second. If you want to give, uh, if you're on Facebook, you can type in hashtag donate and then the amount after it. And uh, if you're anywhere else, including Facebook, you can go to givebc.org. The broadcast is always given to you. It's always sown into your life, no charge whatsoever. But God puts it on people's hearts sometimes to be a partner with us, to get that good news out so that we learn how to be that. Thank you, Chris, for that donation that sowing. Amen. Glory to God. We love you so very much. Let me just pray for you. Father, thank you so much for showing us your word. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the power, the negative power of deception and fear. Lord, as leaders and what we're called to be, let us step away from fear and deception and let us put on humility and faith. Father, let us always go after you and give you the glory. Lord, let us always see you as the source and go to you first. Lord, let us always operate in your goodness. Lord, let us always operate in everything that you have for us. Lord, let us always operate in your will. Let your will be done in our lives on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, let us not only have it in our lives, but let us multiply and be fruitful and multiply that blessing everywhere that we go. Every place where our foot treads, Lord, let us be who you've called us to be. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for your greatness. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, we praise you. We worship you. We give you all of the glory. Thank you, Father. We love you so much. We just honor you and we worship you. You see, moving into thanksgiving is also a humility. Moving into thanksgiving is a humility. It's saying, I couldn't have done this by myself. I had to have your help, and I've had it, and I want to honor you, Lord. I want to give you the glory, so thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll just share this little nugget with you. If you go into Romans chapter 1, 
you'll see that one of the major symptoms of a reprobate mind is they're not thankful. A major symptom of deception is they're not thankful. See, all of this goes hand in hand. Glory to God. Father, let every person that's hearing this or watching this, let them be blessed with all your might, with all your might to be everything that you've called them to be. Let them not be held back by anything, but let them move forward in your great glory. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. We praise you for it. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Uh, Kevin, thank you. God is so good. He said, great message, Pastor. God's good. If I, did, I could feel his presence helping me even as we were speaking. Amen. Thank you, Miss Randy. God's good. Charlotte said, moving into Thanksgiving is also humility. I can't do it without you, Lord. That's right. Amen. Hallelujah. You can see that in Romans 1. I'll give you the verse real quick. <laughs> I like... I was talking to somebody not too long ago and I was giving them some stuff. They said, you love to give to people, don't you? I said, I do. Because <laughs> I was probably giving them more than they were asking for. Verse, Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For even though they knew God, well, start, start in verse 20. For since the creation of Romans 1, 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Now let that sink in right there. I, the Lord really highlighted that to me a few months ago. They've been clearly seen, clearly seen. Listen, any person can walk out into the world and clearly see the divine attributes of God. For them to say, I don't see God anywhere is a complete lie and deception that they've balled into because all they have to do is open up their eyes and it says, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and His divine nature, Scripture says, have been clearly seen. Clearly seen. Being, so in other words, if you have somebody who's saying that God doesn't exist, they're already really in rebellion against God because they've said, I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to acknowledge what's clearly seen. Being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. It is interesting that God added or give thanks in there, in that, in that space. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. In other words, they changed the image. They started worshiping the create, creation instead of the creator. And uh, so what do you see right in the midst of that is that they're not giving thanks. They're not very thankful in their lives. So huge, so important that we become uh, thank, thankful in everything that we do. I let that challenge me. Um, did you know that it's your thanksgiving that makes your meal holy, that sanctifies your meal? It's our thanksgiving. And so we, that's why we give thanks uh, before, uh, before we eat, because that's what sanctifies it. Lord, thank you for this. We, we bless it with our thanks to God. And so... That's one of the things that I, I really found 
uh, was so important. I found myself, the more I became spirit-led, the more thanksgiving I would give. I actually noticed it and recognized it. And you'll see that even when you pray in the spirit, praying out the mysteries of God, in 1 Corinthians 14 it says, you do give thanks well. In other words, one of the best characteristics that we can have as spirit-filled Christians, as Christians that are doing things according to the spirit of God, is give thanks a lot. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. And I've found the closer I walk with God, the more thanks I give. And uh, it's, a, it's a symptom of being in connection with them. And so even if you don't feel like you're in the greatest of connection now, start giving them thanks, and then you can have Proverbs 16.3, which says, commit your works that your thoughts might be established. So just start thanking them. Find things to thank him for. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness or shadow of turning. Do you realize watching this on your phone, on your computer, you didn't have to have that computer. You didn't have to have that phone. You didn't have to have that internet connection. You didn't have to have the seat you're sitting in. You didn't have to have the pen you're writing with. You didn't have to have any of that. All of those are good gifts to help you be who God wants you to be. Thank him for all of that stuff daily. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for these lights. Thank you for these cameras. Thank you for this building, Lord. And see, when we get into thankfulness, all of a sudden it's like supply just starts to come. Thank you, Father. I have food. Uh, Buddy and I were talking last night about uh, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 8 and verse 10. It's talking about being content. It says, if you have food and covering, be content. In other words, if I have nothing else, that's what it's saying. If I had zero else in my life, but I had food and I had covering, right? If I have food and covering, I should be content is what the Lord says. I should be thankful for it. Thank you, Father, for this food today. Thank you that I'm covered. Thank you. But see, if, if that's all we had in America, we, most people would be fussing. They'd be throwing a ever-loving fit because they didn't have other stuff, because they feel like they deserve other stuff. Without Christ, we don't deserve anything. We deserve hell. Uh, but with Christ, we deserve what every, every provision that he has. But we have to have the heart of thanksgiving for it. So, amen. That was message number two. Love you. Have a great day. Be with us tomorrow. Lunch plus is going to be a great one. And we'll see you then. Love you all so very much. Bye-bye.